Take our Bibles and turn to Second Peter chapter one. We'll be spending some our main part of our time there tonight. And um, we're going to kind of mix up the chapter a little bit. I hope you don't mind us taking things a little out of order. Trust that uh, it will make sense. But let's start in verse 13. And, and Peter says, Yea, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. And, and so what Peter is saying here, this is his second letter, and, and in the verses we just read, he says, uh, it is only going to be a short time until I pass from this life into the next. And I want to remind you of some things. And uh, tonight, what I would like to do is just spend some time on a subject that we allude to often, very much often. Um, and that simply is, why is this book... So important. You know, uh, if you're around this church very often, you're, you're going to hear the Bible, the Bible, the Bible says this, the Bible says that, this is what the Bible teaches. Uh, we're not trying to change the Bible. We want the Bible to change us. Uh, we, we do this often, but tonight what I would like for us to do is just Go through some things that we all know just to be reminded because uh, I don't know about you, but uh, how many of you would say, uh, I struggled with this thing this year already? I see a couple heads nodding up and down, so we got... Uh, how many, it's been easy to read your Bible reading schedule. You haven't had one problem. You've gotten ahead of uh, your head in your Bible reading schedule. That's good. But I will tell you that it, there, there is going to be a struggle. And sometimes we forget how important the Bible is and how much we need to spend time with it. Turn with me, if you would, to uh, Romans chapter 10. And uh, we quote this verse, in fact, several years ago, our theme was, uh, this was one of our theme verses for the whole year, Romans chapter 7. And uh, we still like to, uh, to repeat it and have you fill in the blanks. Uh, so then faith cometh by what? And hearing by... Do you, do you realize that people have faith in all kinds of things? Uh, if you really stop and think about it, how much faith do people in this United States put in government? Uh, I was just flipping through articles, and there was a young lady that asked a question. She said, my parents grew up in the Soviet Union. 
Mr. Bernie, why are you trying something that has failed everywhere it's ever been tried? And talking about socialism. You see, people have faith that government is going to answer all of their problems. And if you are of that group, I'm not here to uh, preach a political sermon by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, I would like to challenge you, if your faith is in government, how many of you enjoy the post office? Department of Motor Vehicles. I mean, you talk about nightmares. And uh, if you really want to have fun with government, try the Department of Buildings. And if you're t- if if that's uh, you can handle that challenge, then I've got I've recently discovered the worst of them all, the Department of Transportation. Uh, there is no question in my mind why we have so much problems with traffic when we've had so much problems getting a permit to fix the sidewalk the DOT asked us to fix. Uh, I mean, if your faith is in government, have at it. But, but I have no faith in government. I will tell you that government is, as many of our founding fathers agreed upon, uh, that is a necessary evil. It, but here the Bible tells us that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. I would like to challenge you that if you're going to have true faith, faith that is grounded, faith that is verifiable, faith that is real, you got to start with this book called the Bible. How many people have you ever met? Uh, I'll tell you as a pastor, I couldn't begin to count the number of people that have faith in a God that is not found in this book at all. Oh, but you don't understand. God loves everybody. Yes, he does. He sends his rain on the just and the unjust. But you are not his child until you are born into his family. Amen? Uh, I mean, there are things that we need to understand and we need to get to the source of faith. Now, let's go back to, actually, let's go to Psalm chapter 12, and um, if you've ever been through the discipleship that our church offers, you, you know these verses, uh, verses 6 and 7 of Psalm chapter 12, and we're not going to take time to go through them completely tonight. It says, the words of the Lord, Psalm 12, verse 6, the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Uh, I remember uh, just a while back was talking with a pastor friend and he brought up a a discussion. He said, uh, I know some preachers that are trying to figure out, is it the words of God that are preserved or the letters of the words that are preserved? And I'm sitting there going, okay, Uh, how many of you perceive there just might be something amiss with the question? And it was all revolving around that one printing of our English Bible used the word 
shamefacedness one time in one verse and another printing of our English Bible, our King James 1611, used the word shamefastedness. Now, does anyone here know the difference between shamefacedness and shamefastedness according to the dictionary? Well, if you answered nothing, you're absolutely right. And that brings us back to the question, why would someone ask that question in the first place unless they're trying to cast doubt upon the words of God? That was a printing problem. And both printers used a word that is identical in meaning and so there is absolutely no reason why we should ask that question. Here's the question we ought to ask. Are the words of the Lord pure words? Are they kept words? Are they preserved words? You see, the reason I ask those questions is because right here in Psalm 12, in these verses that we just read... God, through David, says that the words of the Lord are pure, that they're going to be kept, and they're going to be preserved. And therefore, either God is true, and all men are liars, or we have no way of understanding where the truth is. You see... I don't believe a printing error is a problem other than fix the printer. Amen? You say, well, which one is right? Again, they both mean the same thing. Uh, I think my Bible here uses the word shamefacedness, and most of your Bibles do, and I don't think we need to worry about that. You see... What happens is, either you're going to become a judge of the Word, or you're going to submit and obey the Word. The issue is authority. You see, the Bible is the only source of true faith. Now, let's go back to Second Peter chapter 1. And like I said, we're, we're just going to pick up where we stopped. Uh, in verse 16, and then we'll go pick up the first half of the chapter at the very end of our sermon, our study tonight. But Peter says, I want you to have these things in remembrance. And he says, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter said, we didn't make this up. We didn't sit down and try to contrive a story and then pass it off as truth. We'll leave that to ABC, NBC, CBS. Excuse me. Uh, we, we have a lot of that going on in the news today, do we not? Just making up stories and repeating it over and over again until hopefully somebody believes it. Scary Terrifying stuff. But people have 
It's amazing those same people that do that for a living accuse the Bible of being made up. Peter says, I saw it with my own eyes. And he goes on to tell two instances where he heard God speak directly from heaven. One was Jesus' baptism. The other was the Mount of Transfiguration where Peter had misspoke as he was so often wont to do in the Bible. And he said, let's make three tabernacles. And God himself spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son, hear ye him. And when they got up from the ground, I love the wording, they saw Jesus only. Peter says, listen, I saw, I heard But verse 19 is where we want to zero in. We have also, what? A more sure. Now, does more sure? It it just simply means stronger, more verified. We have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed. Peter says, listen, and his reference is not to the New Testament specifically, but mostly toward the Old Testament because those were all the prophecies about Jesus. And Peter said, we have a more sure word of prophecy. And he said, you would do well to obey as unto a little light. Let's, let me read this correctly. As unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts. Now, I, I think we need to just bring this up. If you have one of the new translations, NIV, uh, what is it, New English, or English, uh, ESV uh, is the new Bible of choice. They changed that to Morning Star. And then the NIV and the, um, oh, trying to remember which one it was. It was the one Pat Robertson liked a few years ago. And they go back to Isaiah 14 where our King James Bible says, O Lucifer, son of the morning. And they changed the word Lucifer to Morning Star. So that if you were following words through your Bible, you would think that Isaiah 14, speaking about the devil, and 2 Peter chapter 1, speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ, were talking about the same person. I want to challenge you. You can't make that kind of mistake by accident. It has to be done on purpose. Purposefully by people who want to muddy the understanding of this book. I saw a quote by Augustine the other day that said, evil and good must coexist. I want to challenge you, that is one of the basis of all Eastern religion. That is not Bible. God does not need evil to be good. You say, well then why does God allow evil? Well, one of the simplest reasons is if you don't have a choice, then you don't have a choice. And God says we have a choice. If you can choose 
to do righteousness, you must be able to choose to do evil. Oh, you're going to suffer the consequences. Read your Bible. Be very careful here. And so, when we get to the Word of God, this Bible is very clear that you start as a light that shineth in a dark place. How many do you remember the first time the Bible actually started making sense to you? And you begin to question your religion and all of the things that you held to. And it wasn't long before there was so much light from this word that you said, Hey, my religion has nothing to do with this book called the Bible. And you laid it aside and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible is the source of all true faith. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scriptures of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. What we have here is we have a book that is the source of all faith. If you have true faith in God, this is... Why I often talk about uh, faith in God of the Bible, being born again the Bible way. Because there are many people who uh, believe in gods that are not in the Bible. There are people who believe in ways of salvation that have nothing to do with the Scripture. And we need to understand that the Bible claims to be the only source of faith. That's why it is so important and I believe that God was speaking through David, as Peter gives testimony here, that holy men of old spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, and that there is a pure word, a kept word, and a preserved word. And I will challenge you, this is not the main thought of tonight, but just I will challenge you that you cannot find another translation in English that comes only from the manuscripts that this one does. You see, the problem is, and I went to a Bible college that was changing. We had professors that no longer believed this, and they would tell us, there's no such thing as a preserved word. You have to find it. You have to compare And I'm sitting here, isn't that directly opposed to what the Bible says? Well, that's not talking about the Bible. That's talking... Well, if it's not talking about the words of God, then what in the world was David saying there? You make it either make sense or you make it nonsense. If it makes sense, it's talking about the words of God. This is the source of our faith. Turn turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4, if you would. How many of you have ever believed something to be true, only to find out that it wasn't true? I mean, most of us have at one time or another. And you see, the Bible is the source of our faith, but the Bible is the only measure of truth. If you want to know what truth is, you must measure it according to the Scripture. 
Look at verse 12. For the word of God is quick. That means living. And powerful. And sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. And is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Uh, if you want an example of what I'm talking about, let's take the life of, of uh, Saul who became the Apostle Paul. Did he not believe that he was serving God by persecuting Christians? Absolutely. He thought that putting them to death and twisting their words and making them say things they didn't... He held the coats of those who stoned Stephen... Uh, Saul, at the time of his youth, was a man who believed that he was obeying the Word of God. Was he? Absolutely not. And it wasn't until he met Jesus on the road to Damascus that his eyes were opened. Isn't it interesting that as his eyes were opened, he actually went blind for three days? Do you love the paradox that is in the Bible? Doesn't it just hook up with John chapter 9? I came that those which see might be made blind. You see, the only way that you can tell the difference between truth and error is use the Word of God. But the Word of God does something even more uh, carefully and deeper than just between truth and error. Have you ever met someone who was doing the right things for the wrong reasons? Every one of us have. The Bible allows us to see into the heart. When we surrender to the Word of God, when we follow the Word of God as it is written, it will keep us where we need to be. And it will protect us from people who have ulterior, hidden agendas, all of these things. The Bible is the only measure between truth and error. Let me just read a few verses to you. Hebrews 11.3 says, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that things which are not seen were not made of things which do appear. The Word of God tells us in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Have you ever thought about how many ramifications there are in that simple statement? You see, if God created, then as part of His creation, I have a responsibility to the Creator. Do I not? Hello? Uh, and as I look at my fellow man, I do not have the right to rule over them and do all of these things and to manipulate them for my good because they don't belong to me. They belong to God. You see, if every person just answered to God as their creator, we'd have a, a whole different world in which we live. The Bible says, for this they are willingly, 
They willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. It's amazing. Scientists say everything continues as it always has, except when the asteroid came and killed all the dinosaurs. Uh, except for global warming. Uh, except for global cooling. That was what they were teaching when I was in high school. We were all going to freeze to death in an Arctic winter. And, and um, no, the Bible can tell us the difference between truth and error. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's known as the love chapter. Uh, the Bible word is charity. Because... What the Bible is implying here and what the Bible is explaining in 1 Corinthians 13 is how love works. That's what the word charity means. It means love in action. And we could spend every Thursday night for the rest of the year trying to explain what true love is and what false love is. Uh, the world offers so many Imitations, Do they not? Uh, some of them are horrendous, uh, just so perverse. Uh, others are very much like the real on the surface. But once you get the peeling off, you find out what's inside is nothing like what the Bible says. You see, the Bible teaches the difference between true and and fake love. Fifty, seventy-five years ago, do you know how many laws were on the books regarding divorce? Just a handful in the 1930s and 40s. Divorce was a rare thing. Uh, at the turn of the last century, the divorce rate in the United States was about 5%. And most Christians at that point were talking about the epidemic of divorce and how destructive it was to our society. Today, it's between 55 and 60 percent. More than one half of all marriages end in divorce. It's terrifying. And why does that happen? Why do we have so many laws? We have thousands of laws. We have libraries on divorce law that are just two, four lawyers trying to sue one another and take things away from each other and guarantee their person's rights. Why is all this here? Because nobody, except people that have this book called the Bible, know what love really even is. And when you do not have an understanding, who's going to try to explain it? The government. And so they make this law against this, and this law against this, and this law contradicts both of them, and somehow we're supposed to figure this all out. No, I'll tell you what. Don't put your faith in the government. Don't put your faith in the laws of man. Put your faith in the Word of God. Let's turn back to First. Let's go to 1 Peter, actually. 1 Peter chapter 1, 
The Bible is the source of all faith. It is the only measure of truth. It is the only measure of true faith. But much more importantly, the Bible is central to salvation. Verse 23 of 1 Peter chapter 1 says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. 2 Timothy 3.15 says, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And by the way, Paul was speaking to Timothy. When Timothy was a child, all he had was the Old Testament. So don't try to tell me that the New Testament has a different message than the Old Testament. It only clarifies and and brings it into sharper focus. I want you to turn with me to John chapter 20 for just a moment here. Uh, Verses that we are very familiar with. John chapter 20. And John is talking about his uh, sight, his seeing the resurrected Lord. In verse 30, he says, In many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. I want to tell you, that without this book called the Bible, you can't get saved. Now, that has led some people to say that if they don't quote verses out of the King James Bible, you're not saved. No. Even the worst translations in the English language, praise God, have enough truth in them that you can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But let me tell you something. Why would you mess with a Bible that claims to be an unpreserved, unkept, unpure Word of God, when you can have a pure, preserved, and kept Word. The Bible teaches us how to be saved. No religion teaches you how to be saved. This is the thing I love about being a Baptist preacher. You see... If I were a Catholic priest, I would tell you to come to church and you do what we tell you to. And if you'll follow the sacraments, you can earn enough grace to go to purgatory and take care of whatever you didn't take care of. And eventually you might get to heaven. You see, in a Baptist church, you can't become a member until the issue of salvation is settled first. Because how could you be part of the body of Christ, which is the local church, unless... You're part of Christ first. You see, the Bible makes it so simple. I don't do what I do to earn my way to heaven. I do what I do because I'm already on my way. Amen? This is what the Bible teaches. This is why the Bible is so important. And very quickly, in the last few moments together, let's go back to Second Peter chapter 1. We're going to pick up the first half of the chapter here. The Bible is the source of our faith. It is the only measure of faith, of truth. It is central to our salvation without the Word of God, without knowing what the Bible teaches. You cannot believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
But we start here in verse 1. It says, Simon Peter, a servant apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of our Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Now, I ask the question often, I ask it of myself, I ask it of our church. How many of us have failed in our service for Christ? How many of us have committed a sin? And we say, yeah, none of us, nobody is perfect. But that's not the excuse, that is the statement of fact. But right here it says, all things are given unto us that pertain unto life and godliness. How do we get all things? Through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. By knowing Jesus Christ. Can I ask you a question? Where can you find out about Jesus? Oh, if you turn on the History Channel, they have... uh, 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 what is it? Or Riley wrote Killing Jesus. Uh, I've not read the book. I'm not going to read the book. I don't care about that book because this book tells me all I need to know about Jesus' death. Every Easter they come up and they want to play Mel Gibson's R-rated movie that goes on an hour and a half that if he just followed what the Bible said, he couldn't get 15 minutes of original footage because Jesus hung on the cross in the darkness for three hours. Tried putting that on a camera. Uh, and, and the thing that is the absolute most offensive to me, I did not watch the movie. I just read a review that the only view of the resurrection you get is... Caviezel's behind, and and that is blasphemous to me. I actually heard him give a a testimony about making, he said, I went through hell to make that movie. And I'm sitting there going, I I was driving, almost uh, had an accident. I mean, I just, I I can't imagine you making this statement. And here's, he went on to explain that during one of the beating scenes, uh, the guy portraying the Roman guard had slipped and he had been touched by one of the uh, flails in the whip. And, and it was cold as he was, uh, they were filming, he was hanging on the cross and he was cold. I, I will tell you, you can't learn anything about Jesus' death by watching that movie. If you want to learn about Jesus' death, read your Bible. If you want to know what Jesus went through, the greatest suffering of Christ was not in the physical realm. It was, he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? As God the Father, I can't explain how this happened, turned his back on God the Son. Jesus did not become a sinner. But God poured out upon him the entire wrath and judgment of God 
so that when Jesus said it was finished, the prophecy in Isaiah 53 said, God shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Stop and think about that. You see, the reason we fail in our walk is because we do not know Jesus as well as we think we do. And, and let's look on here. In verse 4, it says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Can I tell you that virtue is a lost word in modern English? Virtue, if you look it up, it just they'll give you a, a definition of purity. But you read your Bible. The woman with the issue of blood touched Jesus and she was cleansed. And Jesus said, I perceive virtue has gone out of me. This is what used to happen in the United States. The people who were Christians lived such a life that the people who were not Christians couldn't do the things they wanted to do. Virtue. Why do you think the world gets so angry when someone holds up a Bible and calls sin, sin today? Virtue. It hurts them. Oh, but that's not love. Oh, wait a minute. That is the essence of love, my friend. Add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge because we do not live in an unknowing and an uncaring world. We are not to be ignorant of what is truth. We are to know the truth. Knowledge is the basis for temperance. Temperance, patience. Patience, godliness. Godliness is brotherly kindness and brotherly kindness is the basis, is the foundation for charity. People want to start with charity and they have no virtue. And that's the reason it doesn't work. By the way, you can define every one of these words with this book. And that's where they come from. The measure of each one of those words, and it says, for if these be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot of people that know a lot about the Bible and about Jesus, but it doesn't do them any good. If you want that knowledge to work, you've got to put it in the pattern that's in the Bible. And you see, the Bible is the only source for faith. It's the only source for virtue. The Bible is the only source of knowledge that is true. And we read on here, But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. Verse 11, for so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Now, we've gone through entire chapter here of Second Peter, chapter 1. Not quite in the order it was in our Bible, but we started out with remembering things. Because everything we've talked about is things that have been talked about often over and over and over. And I hope you never get tired of hearing them over again. The Word of God is not something made up. It's not cunningly devised fables. It is the source of all true faith. It is the only measure of faith. It is a discerner, not only between what is right and what is wrong, but of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And it gives us that direction. It tells us what it is to be saved, to obtain that like precious faith that Peter talks about in the first verses. But I'm here to tell you tonight, false religion offers salvation as the goalpost, as the end zone, as the end, the ultimate achievement. The Bible says, no, 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 no. The Bible says salvation is the beginning. That's why it's called being born again. It is where your life starts. You're supposed to add to that faith. Virtue, knowledge, temperance. Tell you what, if someone could describe your life as consisting of those attributes that we're supposed to add to your faith, uh, I'll tell you what, that would be pretty high praise indeed, would it not? And so the Bible says, if these things be in us and abound, we're not going to be barren nor unfruitful. Our knowledge of Christ is actually going to do something in our lives. And when we leave this life, we'll have an abundant entrance into heaven. What a thought. I mean, in the old days, they used to announce the kings and the lords and the ladies and all of these things at any social gathering. You know, when, when we get to heaven, it, it says you're going to get announced. It might be <clears throat> crawling through the, the little doggy port over here. We don't have doggies in heaven, but just walk in. Or the trumpets will sound. It says an abundant entrance. I don't know how that's going to look, but I'll tell you this. It will only take you a few seconds into eternity to fully understand what we've missed out on by not paying as much attention to this book as we ought to. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly-